From movement to medicine, climate change in our future, everything depends on energy. We use it to drive us, we use it to heal us. This is The Coefficient Life, and we sit down with the smartest scientists, futurists, and thinkers on the planet to discuss the big ideas around energy in all its forms and ask the questions you wish you could ask them. I'm your host, Anthony Salomon. And I'm your other host, Kim Brooks. Anthony and I are here to bring you stories that are shaping the future of our planet. Now let's dive on into a universe of energy. From the Podcast Bureau, this is The Coefficient Life. Ever wanted to talk to the guy who's in the know about climate change, clean and renewable energy, and how to save the planet? Well, we did. We got to sit down with Tim Lewin, the Executive Director of the Strategic Energy Institute and the International Authority on Clean Energy. Tim has authored and edited four books, holds five patents, and is the founder of Turbine Logic, and is a multi-award winning scientist who sits on the advisory boards of the Oak Ridge National Lab, Pacific Northwest National Lab, and the National Renewable Energy Lab. We were lucky enough to grab some of Tim's time and get into a very high level discussion about how to change the future of the environment, as well as some of the realities behind the real impacts of the things we are doing, not just in hurting the environment, but the things we are doing to protect and save it. As a Tesla, one of his ideas is, in what conditions is my Tesla environmentally friendly? Yeah. And, uh, if at all. And, uh, you know, again, how, how does the nexus of energy and where we get our energy sources come from? And, yep. you know, what, what are the synergies that bring things together that make sense? And what are the synergies that we're doing that may not make sense? Yeah. yeah. Looking at also the what the future of energy is. With regards to obviously renewables is, you know, obviously there, but they have everything has its pros and cons. So, you know, looking forward into the future, how do we offset some of the cons of solar and wind? And do we supplement with nuclear or what do we do? Right. How is everybody working hand in hand to make sure that we have like great energy going into the future? Yeah. Yeah. Firm dispatchable power, I guess, is the, uh, the million dollar question. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I don't, I don't know if you had a specific question or you guys just want to... No, if I thought uh, really just have an informal conversation uh, sure. and sort of look into what you do here and yeah, what kind of stuff you're doing right now and yeah. looking to do in, in the near and then the long-term future. Sure. And then your prognostications to, to the extent yeah, you're comfortable yeah, getting yeah. those. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> where are we going and where, yeah. where do we need to go? Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. I think, so I guess the first point I would make is, you know, when we talk about energy... You know, that's the U.S. really has two kind of completely independent energy ecosystems. You know, one is kind of the electric power and the other is transportation. They are they have totally different yeah. geopolitics. They have totally different pricing structures, totally different sets of issues. And so I think, you know, for, I guess that's just point one is when we talk about energy, probably there's, the, you know, there's obviously there's, there's the electricity side um, and then there's the, the transportation side. And that's that's, you know, so if we think about on the on the electricity side. It's decarbonizing. It's decarbonizing rapidly. You know, I think what we are starting to see are kind of the growing pains where renewables were intermittent energy sources, not non-firm, non-dispatchable power is starting to become a significant enough fraction that it's starting to become a stress point. A problem. Texas is exhibit A, right? What happened in Texas is exhibit A. Well, wind just tanked. On the other hand, some days last year, Texas, more than 50% of its energy came from renewables, which is you, you say, hey, that's cool, but then also recognize, like, you still got to have all what about that, the bad days, yeah, all that firm dispatchable power on on the off days. So that's kind of key issue number one. And so, and and you know, photovoltaic 
uh, solar and wind are the lowest cost options. And I mean, just they're, they're going to go like gangbusters. And the biggest hurdle right now with getting more, particularly wind on the grid, it's not a technical issue. It's just the, the transmission lines and getting all the right of ways and state states to get them to where they go. You know, like, for example, Southern Company, which is our regional utility, mm-hmm. is a regulated, vertically integrated utility, but they also have a non-regulated business. They're, they're investing in Midwestern solar farms, uh, Midwestern wind farms, um, but they've been actually pulling a bunch of projects off the table because they can't get the interconnects. So it's a, a lot of non-technical issues, which is stymieing, there, stymieing that. I guess just the other point I would just throw out there is that some people see you know, there's a huge difference between getting to net zero CO2 and getting to absolute zero CO2. And, you know, and net zero CO2 is far and away the cheapest way to do it. Yeah. Because particularly once you start looking at, you know, 50, you know, once we start reducing our CO2 by 50%, 75%, that last bit starts to get really expensive. So and there's a really nice study that was just done by Princeton. It's called Net Zero America. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. Where they, it, it was kind of cool. They basically put, like engineers, they put together this macro model of the U.S. energy system. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of macro models of the U.S. energy system, but really fine grain in times of space and time. And then they just wrapped an optimizer around it. Just like, how do we get to net zero? Cool. Cheap. So really cool. Kind of an engineering approach. Wow, that is good. And, and But what's really interesting about that is like 25% of our energy in that scenario comes from fossil fuels, but with carbon capture. So it's like fossil fuels aren't going away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's just too much of it available. It's too readily available. Yeah. But, but, but carbon capture. So you're talking about the systems like when they uh, capture the carbon, pump it into the earth, turn it into rock, that kind of stuff. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So you got direct air capture, which is where you where it's very dilute. You know, like are you familiar with this plant in Iceland that's went online this year? Yeah. So yeah, there's a plant in Iceland. There, it's powered by geothermal energy, and it's literally pulling in air. You know, an air is what 400 parts per million of CO2. It's sucking those that 400 ppm of CO2 out, pumping it down to turn it into rock. Into this, they have this basalt. Um, and so that's called direct air capture. The other is concentrated capture, where you pull it out of, out of an exhaust stream. Yeah, out of an exhaust stream. It's expensive, though, right? And, and frankly, you know, so, yeah. the U.S. the cost of carbon. The U.S. is something called the forty five Q credit, which is actually it's in the IRS tax code. Where if you pull CO two out of the air, you know they're going to give you I think forty five dollars per ton, something like that. So it's it's actually already there. The problem is it's, there's no technology that can get you there yeah. today at forty five dollars at a hundred bucks a ton that then you're going to start to see some really interesting things happen in this country because then the Exxon Mobiles and the Chevrons and companies that know how to do big stuff are going to see more of it. Yeah, that'd, yeah, that'd be really... It's going to Tim, just or, or, I to put you on the spot, but like when we talk about emissions or anthropogenic emissions of CO2 in terms of tons, like what order of magnitude are we talking about as far as what North America or even the world emits? I mean... Is yeah, it I should a know million? Is it a billion? Is it? A, I, I mean, I know it's a big number. There's a really cool book. It's by by Bill Gates called How to Avoid Climate Crisis, and he has these numbers, and it's it's billions of tons, I believe. Yeah, yeah, okay, I think it is. Yeah. So, so you me, a lot of a lot of Iceland plants to take care of that yeah. problem. <laughs> so to me, the future is growing renewables, but also a significant non-zero fraction of fossil fuels with carbon capture. Yeah. I think that's just where the... Where the you mean for electricity reduction, not for transportation. Yeah, for electricity, yes. We'll talk about transportation in a second. But I think... And then the other thing I would just add to that is, obviously, everybody talks about storage as being a key enabler, no question. But sometimes it's, it's lost in those conversations as well. There's storage over a second, there's storage over a minute, there's storage over a few hours, there's storage over days, and there's storage over 
over months, right? And so a lot of the discussion around, you know, lithium ion batteries and these, you know, how California is creating a market for energy storage, that's all like a few hours to a few days type storage. And that is a, there is a very real need for that. You know, they've got the duck curve and they're- Emergency stuff, emergency power. Yeah, and, and pump, pumped water even sometimes pumped water is even you know I've seen that done. Yeah, pumped hydro. Pumped yeah. hydro, yeah, pump it up yeah. and then re- re- yep. regenerate. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but the state of Alabama is the site of the only compressed air energy storage facility in the United States. Wow, I didn't know that. There's two in the world. One's in Alabama, right next yeah. to us, huh. where they pump compressed air into a cavern. Wow. Um, that's and then pretty they cool. Comes flying back out. And you run for work. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. But the problem, I don't think pumped hydro is. Is scalable. It's not scalable. It's not scalable. You don't have it everywhere. But that's where things like, so really, I think kind of the unsolved the question that we don't have quite figured out yet is weeks to months to seasonal type storage. Yeah. And that's where I think things like hydrogen or other chemical energy carriers yeah. starts to become. So again, if you look at that Princeton study, today there is, there is a hydrogen economy. It's, a, it's, it's largely a petrochemical. It's largely locally on site. You know, petrochem companies take methane. They use steam to turn methane into hydrogen, and you can actually capture the CO2. That's, in fact, the essence of the, the ExxonMobil Houston port proposal for a mm-hmm. director capture hub. And then you've got that hydrogen. But, you know, what you're also we're going to see is this kind of this renewable fuel economy. It's going to become a very, very large economy. You mean with, with hot, cracking hydrogen all out of other streams? Well, it, it could be that, but I guess generally, so if you think about if you Electricity, it's not a source of energy, it's a carrier of energy, right? We just move it. We have something which gives you the energy, nuclear power, wind, burning, coal. Electricity just carries you from point A to point B. Today, fossil fuels carry three functions. They're the source of energy, they're the carrier of energy, and they're the storage medium of energy. Yeah, they store it also, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, because a pile of coal, it's a a great battery, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. right, but those are going to get deconstructed. The market, the 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 energy market is going to deconstruct those, because as we move away, as we do a lot less fossil fuels, not zero, but still substantially reduced, what's going to be the carrier of energy? What's going to be the storage medium of energy? Yeah. So electricity is going to go up. We're going to use more electricity. We're, electricity as a carrier, but we're also going to see a whole new set of of carriers like hydrogen or even liquid fuels. So completely synthetically generated liquid fuels, particularly for sectors like aviation, yes, where it looks just like Jet A, but it's made by, I mean, what is Jet A? It's a bunch of carbon and hydrogen atoms. Yes. Yeah. But you just, you synthetically put them together. Mm-hmm. Um, where does, energy. I sat in a presentation on basically using nuclear power for coal liquefaction mm-hmm. this week. And they were saying, this is what we got to do. Again, one researcher, but within that, is, is coal liquefaction part of the problem or part of the solution? Or I don't even know. Yeah, that's where. called. Uh, so, you, are you familiar with those like green hydrogen and pink hydrogen? That's green hydrogen. Okay. That's black hydrogen. Oh, that's black hydrogen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you you could one conceivably could use coal. And in fact, if you fly out of South Africa today, you are flying on liquefied coal. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you I familiar with the country? The company Sassel, S A S O L. No. So Sassel is a South African company, and I think it goes back to uh, the days. Yeah, when, I've heard of that, actually. Yeah, and they have a huge petrochemical complex where in comes coal, out goes jet fuel. And so and so a lot of the engines, the jet engines, are certified to fly on 50% of this stuff. In fact, the U.S. the U.S. Department of Defense 
in the late 2000s had a goal that by 2015 they were going to be using 50% domestically sourced fuel because you know this was before fracking huge national security issue oh by the way our national security you know all of our fighter planes are pulling oil from a region we may be at war with yes, like Iran right. or something and so 50% of the fuel was going to be domestically sourced it was before fracking and so the way the solution was coal derived fuels. And so it's actually, by the way, the exact, it was the technology was developed in World War II by German engineers when they lost their oil fields. Yeah, they made coal oil, they yep. called it. You yep. used to burn it to heat the houses with yeah. coal yeah. oil. Yeah, exactly. Stuff yeah. like kerosene. Yeah. yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. So you take coal, if you heat up coal and air is around, it's going to burn. If you heat up coal and you don't have and air, it, it sweats it out. Yeah. What you get is hydrogen and carbon monoxide. And so that's town gas, what used to be called town gas, like in Great Britain. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. And you can burn that stuff. It's called synthesis gas. Or you can then run that through a catalyst, and it's called the fischer tropsch process. These are the two Germans who invented it. You run this over this catalyst, and bingo, out pops gasoline or kerosene. Or Can't whatever you want. And so, but that basic technology, although it was invented for coal, all you need is hydrogen and CO2. It could be other feedstock besides coal. So you can take water, you can split it, you can pull CO2 out of the air, run it through that same catalyst. But well, you need an energy source to do that with. You need an energy source to do it. So it's sort of the best available technology today. I think you're probably talking about six or seven bucks a gallon if you were to make gasoline. Make it that way. uh Yeah. So before you were talking about like taking, like synthetically creating things by putting, you know, different molecules and atoms together. Yeah. But then it creates something that's in line with a fossil fuel. What is the, you know, the emission of that? Yeah. Is it clean or is it? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So burn the same. Our society has a couple really big decisions to make. You know, like I said, the thing about electrification is, is that your toaster, your Tesla, it doesn't care if the, if the power ultimately comes from a nuclear plant or coal. Mm-hmm. You know, electricity is drop in. Electricity is electricity. And the thing about electricity, it's super easy to change it. You can make it. It can be 120,000 volts or it can be 120 volts. It can be DC. It can be AC. We can. It's like a chameleon without a whole lot of losses in efficiency. Fuels and chemical energy carriers are much harder to kind of change that modality. More entropy and moving those around. Yeah, bingo. That's exactly right. And so we have a really couple really big decisions to make, which is that, oh, by the way, we have 2.1 million miles of pipelines in this country. Are we just going to throw those away? Yeah. Um, Or we've got however many hundreds of millions of automobiles with internal combustion engines. Are we just going to stop? Or, you know, we've got airplanes. So the one question is, we use the word drop-in. So are we going to use chemical energy carriers that are drop-in, that look just like gasoline or just like kerosene, or are we going to use something that you'd actually have to get a new car for? So, you know, if it's hydrogen, you can't use your car. Yeah. I can't use my car. My It's actually my, my in-law's car <laughs> that I drove in on. I can't run hydrogen on it, right? So drop-in versus non-drop-in. It turns out that if we were to build society from scratch, we would use fuels. We would use different chemical energy carriers than we have today. Hydrogen is really cheap to produce. It's just, it's hard to move it around. And you need a new car for it. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, drop-in, we can leverage those 2.1 million miles of pipelines. You continue doing the other things you do. It's just more expensive to make. Like I said, it costs seven bucks a gallon to make it. But your question was slightly different, which was the emissions. And so there's two kinds of emissions we worry about. One is carbon dioxide emissions. The other is stuff that causes air quality problems, like Atlanta has a smog problem. So you can conceivably make these things net zero CO2. So from a, a carbon dioxide point of view, you know, you can use wind turbines to drive this process to synthetically make a drop-in fuel. No problem. Yeah. But the next question comes, when you use it, does it make smog, you know, 
what we call NOx and particulates or, or soot. Right. And the answer to that question is you, if not careful, you can. Yeah. You can make pollution. Just like burning, you know, logs or biofuels, right? Those are net zero CO2, but you can, the reason forest fires make a lot of soot is, you know, even though it's not making net CO2 in the environment, it's still making the air quality bad. But on the other hand, I mean, like what I do for a living is I do combustion, right? Before I ran the Energy Institute. And so you can do a lot of things to make these things super duper clean, near zero, not zero, but near zero. But near zero, yeah. Yeah, near zero. That's, that's really interesting, yeah. That's... Yeah. Yeah, and actually it turns out that today's, like take gasoline. One of the challenges with gasoline, if you actually wanted to, to make ex an exact carbon copy of gasoline, is it has thousands of different compounds in it. And so, but yeah, there's a few basic features that you try to capture, which is how much heat you get per pound and the viscosity. Right. So you can simulate that pretty easily. So it turns out that Fischer-Tropsch fuels, these synthetically generated fuels, have no aromatics, which are carbon chains. And it's aromatics that makes soot. So it turns out that these drop-in fuels make essentially no soot or particulates. Wow. Whereas, entirely by accident, for, for serendipitous reasons, whereas natural fossil fuel stuff, because it's got a lot of aromatics, makes soot. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be good for LA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we can talk about transport. I, don't, I'm, I feel like I'm rambling. Just if you want. No, no, please. Okay. This is amazing, yeah. yeah so we talked about electricity, maybe to talk about transportation for a minute. So like I said, today, the transportation sector is totally decoupled. You know, essentially right. 2% of existing, existing vehicles, vehicles are, are electric. electric. Yeah, I think we're up to 10% now of new sales or something maybe, like that. Maybe, yeah. But it's still small. And... So we're basically using fossil fuels and we're using a liquid fuel. And so maybe I'll just emphasize that for a minute, is that one, one really interesting thing to look at are fuel prices in this country or, or energy prices. So, you know, you're probably used to gasoline costs so many dollars per gallon, or if you track natural gas prices, it's quoted as dollars per million BTU. But if you actually were to take energy costs and just normalize, or fuel costs and normalize it by energy, so... So, for example, instead of dollars per gallon or dollars per barrel of oil, dollars per joule, joule of energy. Say joule, yeah. It turns out that there's, if you look at the United States, there's basically two different price structures. If the fuel is a gas at room temperature, that's natural gas and that's ethane. I don't know if you're used to thinking about ethane, but it turns out that a lot of U.S. fracked gas has ethane. That's natural gas and ethane. Or on the other hand, if it's a liquid at room temperature, so that's gasoline, that's propane, et cetera, the market is going to give you four to five times per unit of energy. It's going to pay you if you, if you own those. Or on the other hand, if you're a consumer, you're going to have to pay four to five times as much if it's a liquid versus a gas. In um, places like Japan and Korea, those are priced on an energy basis. Is that just purely due to the weight or the storage? Or? Yeah, well, it's, it's really interesting. It's because the U.S. is so energy abundant, right? Energy is cheap in the U.S. The problem is, is it's, it's hard to move stuff that's a gas out. So gas, we export, today the U.S. exports, I think, 13% of our natural gas. But it, it's a big price premium, right? Like in the U.S., it, I think gas is, well, it's, for the last couple of years, it's been 2 or $3 per million BTU. It costs almost double that to ship it to Korea. It costs it five bucks. Uh, turns out that's still cheap relative to what you pay. Versus oil and, and, and things like that, that's really easy to move. And so that's there is a pretty common global benchmark. So what you pay for oil in Japan versus in Russia versus Europe versus the U.S. isn't that different because it only costs about a dollar per barrel to ship the stuff. So when you're talking about 60 bucks a barrel, 
61 versus 59. There's just not that much of a difference. So it's globally priced. It's set on a global market versus stuff that's a gas since it costs a lot more. U.S. pricing is totally different than European pricing, which is totally different than Asian pricing. So for that reason, the U.S. burns a lot of natural gas. We're starting to export more, but it just makes it super cheap versus transportation. We pay a premium for those fuels. So that's one thing. So now if you start talking about electrifying the transportation fleet, you're starting to pull from these much cheaper fuels, which is why total cost of ownership of electric vehicles is actually already sort of running on the run for the money with you know conventional cars. Even, even though they cost more to buy, yeah. if you just aggregate just what you pay at the pump versus your new, your higher electricity bills. Yeah, every time I charge my Tesla, it says, you saved this much of the pump today. Yeah, like, great. <laughs> yeah, but that's why. It's because, you know, it's using, even if it's using a fossil fuel, more than likely it's using coal or natural gas, which and you, I know you wanted to get to that question about emissions from it, Yeah, yeah. Use, which is really cheap in the U.S., super cheap, versus if you're using oil, it's like, well, shoot, I'm just going to go sell this to the Japanese because they're going to pay me a lot because Japan has no energy sources, so they're buying everything. So yeah. that's why they pay the same on an energy basis for oil as they do for, for natural gas. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I definitely want to get into that emissions question because yeah. I think it was you that sent me an article the other day. And it was like, if you live in Colorado, yeah. you Rick sent some articles. Yeah, yeah you're, you're not as clean as you think when you drive <laughs> yeah. an EV. <laughs> yeah, and then it kind of showed you, depending on where you live, how you stack up against yeah. um, a traditional combustion yeah. engine. Yeah. Which I, I found it fascinating. Yep. But I think Rich, you're meeting with afterwards. Yeah. This is what he does all day, every day. So I will defer the detail to answer that question because yeah. there's a lot of nuance. I guess the only thing I would just say is I think you have to differentiate between sort of aggregate lifetime CO2 emissions and what you're generating at that point. Because by you buying an EV, you're enabling a market that's ultimately going to enable some of these broader trends, right? How do we drive down emissions from transportation, it's really hard to, to get rid of CO2, right? Yeah. Stationary sources, it's much yeah. easier. So how do we do that? The best way to do that, at least for smaller cars, is by electrifying them. And how do we do that? It's by having lots of people buy them. Well, how do we get lots of people to buy them if they're cheap? So we need early adopters, right? And so we've got to create that market. We need market makers. So you're a market maker. Amazing. I like, <laughs> thank you. I, I, I try. <laughs> you're a market maker. So what you're doing today and what you're enabling 10 years from now are yeah. two totally different answers. Even if you were sitting, you're charging your car in the middle of coal country. Yeah. And and so I guess that would be my kind of big picture answer to that question. That's it. No, Tim, I heard of resurgence in hydrogen discussions, and I think we had some conversations yep. about that more. We're Within transportation, is hydrogen going to be something we're just still talking about in 20 years? Yeah. Or do you think hydrogen will ever be a player with yeah. cars? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think, so the answer to this question on transportation comes down to vehicle size and mass, right? So for small size, small mass things like my car, your car, electrification wins. I think we've answered that question. You know, I know some people, you probably know some people who have fuel cell powered vehicles and they probably are looking for hydrogen stations to power it. I think that's a, they, that is a sunk cost asset. I don't see that becoming, it just doesn't pencil out. Electricity is just, by the time you, you make the hydrogen and you do all this stuff, it's just a lot more expensive. Now, on the other hand, as you start looking at trucking, long haul trucking, hydrogen with a fuel cell starts to make economic sense. So there is very clear motion on that. So think marine, think big trucks, yeah. think aviation. That's probably not going to electrify. That's going to use some sort of chemical energy carrier. So whether that's a fuel, whether that's hydrogen, possibly for like trucks, 
versus aircraft, it's going to be a liquid, a renewable liquid fuel. That's my, that's my silver ball. Take that one to the bank. I'll bet my house on that. And then, uh, so I, I just very quickly sort of glanced across like marine travel. Yeah. Do you think it'd be more of like hydrogen with a cell or a, a, like for aircraft that they would use to sort of stop putting I think, emissions into the you ocean? Know, for, for a ship, so aircraft are so, they're both weight, weight and volume dependent. sensitive. Yeah. And so liquids make sense. I think for a ship, gas makes a lot of sense. In fact, I'm, I don't fully understand why every ship in this country today isn't utilizing natural gas. And I think the only reason is, is that people, because gas, like I said, it's five times, it's literally five times cheaper. Go look it up on the spot price. Yeah. Well, I I just like on on that topic, I know Disney Cruise Line have now updated all of their ships to be natural gas. Yeah, Yeah. that's why. But you're sort of making a bet on the future price of natural gas is, is is what you're doing. Because 2005 gas was about, natural gas was five times more expensive than it is today. And it was actually priced much more closely to, to, to liquid fuels, but it's like we've got so much fracked gas available. Unless there were some policy changes, it's going to continue to be really cheap. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. What other questions do I have for you? <laughs> but, I, but I guess the other question you're asking about hydrogen. So there's two, I think there's two angles around hydrogen, too. Yeah, that, I, was, I was going to follow up with hydrogen because I, as I think about what you just said for a moment, you know, it strikes me, uh, I, I agree with you. Know, you have a certain mass threshold where it makes sense now with EVs yep. for, for personal use. But at some point, you know, you have to, if, if you say you're a market adapter and you try to get 300 million people to be transported by however many million cars that is, that's a heck of a pile of millions of cadmium or batteries to dispose of. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And so <laughs> doesn't hydrogen come back into the equation yeah. again for those? No, that's a, I don't think anyone knows the answer to this question. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, I was curious if you did. I, <laughs> yeah. I was hoping that you did, but yeah. I didn't think anybody did. Well, and, if, and if I knew the answer to the question, I know what stocks I'd be buying. It would be companies need, selling yes. lithium. You know, yeah, it would be. And yeah. cobalt and stuff You see like people that. already hedging that and going yeah. there and getting speculating. Oh, absolutely. But you do have to, it is kind of an engineering question that, the sensitivity analysis is an engineering analysis. Yeah, so there's a couple questions. So I think one is today you need these rare earths. And so, you know, half the world's cobalt comes from the country of Congo, right? And most of the world's, I can't remember which one comes. Lithium. It's Australia is and maybe lithium is, mo- is more than 50%. You know, uh, well, lithium, we did a whole documentary on lithium. Yeah. Lithium, uh, a lot of it comes from South America, from Bolivia, directly underneath all the quinoa farms. Okay. That's why. <laughs> so the only reason we know this is because there's a, an element that's in quinoa that you need for your body for functioning. And the only place you can get it is quinoa because it grows on top of lithium farms. Huh. Didn't know that. Okay, yeah. there you go. And uh, that's why it's in the superfood category. Uh-huh. And we learned that when we were doing the documentary. Okay. So we should lick the Tesla batteries. That's right. I don't know about that. Yeah. But, but you then, know, I learned, by the way, there are lithium mines in North Carolina. I had no idea that the U.S. had going concerns. But, All right. But, yeah. but, but so I guess just a couple. So with the current situation, whether we have enough raw product to meet this demand is a great question. It is. But then the other question is recyclability. You know, is. What do you do with it after? Yeah, whether That you know, might work. You there's know, a lot of science that's going on right, right. now. Well, Rich it was the same thing that. with like fuel cells, with yeah. some of the precious metals and fuel cells, yeah. of whether or not it's sustain or expandable. Well, that, yeah. might, that might be Scalable. also a problem. That yeah. might be the problem yeah. too. There might yeah. be yeah. stuff yeah. in gotchas so, and I mean, fuel cells. The U.S. Cells. Department of Energy and, and whatnot, they're dumping big bucks into this issue of recyclability. How do you design these things so yeah. that it's low cost and simple to just be turning this stuff around so yeah. it's not... And then the other piece is there's a lot of investments that are going on in trying to develop technologies that don't require these rare earths, that use 
you know, more commonly available materials. Yeah. So that's why no one has the answer to your question. Yeah. yeah. It's just in, it's in flux. This answer is being solved as we speak, yeah. right? In my opinion, the market's going to solve this problem, right? Yeah. The, the price, the price signals are going to drive people. They're going to drive innovation. You know, whether it's because you know these these high efficiency electric motors, these high efficiency batteries, you know, they use these materials because it's you know because of certain efficiency reasons and whatnot. But people will figure out other ways to do it as prices start moving. Yeah, I suspect so. Yeah, or it'll create a problem, and oh, we got to solve that problem. Yeah. That's the new problem. Yeah, it? yeah. yeah. All the, all the yeah. poison created by all these electric vehicle yeah. batteries. But I mean, just this question. But it's a really interesting question of whether we have enough lithium for all the lithium-ion batteries we're talking about building. But the other thing I was going to say about hydrogen, by the way, is there's a transportation piece. But then the other piece around hydrogen, why we're hearing more about it, is again, it goes back to this question of you know, as you start, as you know, when solar and wind are one percent of the grid, two percent of the grid, you can just keep putting solar and wind on the grid, and not think about. Well, I've yeah. got this larger system right. I've got to keep stable where the supply of electricity and the demand for electricity have to match, you know, every second in time. And, you know, even if it matches 90% of the time and doesn't match 10% of the time, that's, that's not good that's enough. That's totally unacceptable. It's it, it, 99% isn't acceptable. No. You know, it's, it's got to be like 99.9%. Well, you need 110%. You need, you yeah. need overage. Yeah. And so there's so much that, so then there's, so this is where questions like hydrogen come in. Is essentially using it for long duration energy storage because the, yeah, because you, you force it into that. You, you basically put the energy you store it as potential energy yep, by breaking yep. this chemical apart. Now it's now it's potential energy again. Yep, exactly, it's a chemical energy carrier rather than electrical. Yes, 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 right. Yep. That's right. And so, for example, I mentioned the U.S. has got a. I don't. I said two point one million miles. I can't remember what breakdown that is for gasoline versus oil versus natural gas, but it's a lot. Let's just say a million miles of pipelines of natural gas, which, by the way is rated for probably, I, I don't think anyone knows exactly the number, but somewhere up to about 20%, you can put hydrogen in it before you start to embrittle. You get this problem called hydrogen embrittlement. The um, pipes, yeah. Yeah, it starts to ruin the pipes. But let's just say it's only 5%. I mean, if we could put 5% hydrogen into our existing natural gas pipelines, that is a massive battery. That is a massive battery. And, you know, yeah. all the gas, all the things that are using that it's natural true. gas, that they can take true. a certain amount of hydrogen. Yeah, yeah, they can. So, well, that's what I guess what's going to get it. So can you take a gas turbine engine, dope it also, I mean, maybe doping is the wrong word, but add some extra hydrogen to it and then it will burn? No, this is my world. I mean, this is, I got, well, I've got lots of active DOE programs working on exactly this. It burns and, just like regular hydrogen, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it turns out that, that I mentioned how you have to be careful to not make pollution. When you burn a fossil fuel, if you're not careful, you can make smog and soot. But yeah. modern combustion systems are really clean, but you got to be careful. And hydrogen, if you start dumping a lot of hydrogen into those systems, you can damage them. And so there's a lot of work going on right now to develop systems that are fuel flexible. And the reason you need fuel flexible is, is that if you, if you said, hey, I got 100% hydrogen, can you run that through a gas turbine? I'd say, no problem. But if I have to have a gas turbine that can run from pure methane, pure natural gas, all the way to pure hydrogen and vary by the day, that becomes a challenge. And that's where a lot of the innovation is happening. Does right water... I mean, because I mean, when you combust hydrogen, you're basically going to water. Yep. What do you do with all the water in your combustion engine or whatever? Goes out into the back end of steam. So it just goes out of steam. Yeah. yeah. So okay. you know, when you see images of power plants with with these horrible exhaust stacks, you're oh, not yeah. seeing pollution. You're seeing steam condensing. I understand that yeah. very well. It's a, but that's not that's the exhaust the, of the power plant, though. Pardon? That's not the exhaust, the cooling tower. Oh, no, cooling tower. Yeah, exactly. But this is what yeah, when yeah. you see an image about. Like on the news, you watch the news. So, side story, real quick. When I was an undergraduate yeah, at the University of the Baltimore Sun, yeah, which is the paper there, no, did a bad cold. Wanted to do an anti nuke story. 
And so they went down the uh, coast there, the Chesapeake Bay, looking for Calvert Cliffs due to the power plant, which, by the way, has no cooling tower, just uh-huh. heat exchanges with okay. the Chesapeake Bay. And they found, like, some coal plant with these big cooling towers. <laughs> Took this picture of, like, cooling towers and yeah. coal plant and basically was, like, you know, posted that as the front page story about the evils of nuclear. And they got a coal fire yeah. plant there, and that was just yeah. 1980s. <laughs> we, the conical cooling towers yeah. are always associated with nuclear power, but yeah. big coal plants have yeah. them, too. So. But when you see the exhaust stack with a dark color, that's so, so that, that is pollution. Or like a diesel truck. My scattering versus rally scattering. That's right. You know, you just got to apply the principles of smoking a brisket, right? Yeah. You you want like the the almost see-through white, like clean smoke. (laughs) You don't want that black sooty smoke to to cook your brisket. Same with the the planet, right? We don't want the black smoke to cook the planet. We want the nice white, almost transparent smoke to be coming out of there because... That's just water vapor. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. But I guess just, but the, the, I was just going to say, that's the other big driver for hydrogen. It's essentially it's a long-duration energy storage medium. Yeah. You know, that's not transportation. That's just electric. Yeah, the interesting thing is then how do you restructure infrastructure for all of these? This is something that we just dealt yeah. with on the way here, yeah. is all this infrastructure needed for these alternate fuel vehicles. So for, you know, electric transportation, yeah. how do you then make yep. sure that we all have these charges along the route because everybody's got their own proprietary charging yeah. nozzle. Yeah. So now you have to have all these charging stations. Yeah. You have to carry around 400 pounds of converters yeah. <laughs> in each electric vehicle. Then, yeah. And then you go over to the UK and you need a whole other one again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, the UK is actually piloting some really interesting hydrogen stuff. In fact, I think it was just in the news this week what they're doing to the northeast part of the UK. I can't, they're going to they're gonna put out a big hydrogen pilot. And, and I cool. think it's the city of Leeds. The city of Leeds, I think the piping is already plastic, I think is why they can do it in Leeds. And I don't completely understand the reasons for this. Because like I said, with hydrogen, you can use existing metal piping probably up to about 20%, but not beyond that. Whereas if you've got the piping that can already take it, you can run 100% hydrogen. Wow, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, because I don't understand what it does, what does hydrogen do to like the the metal pipes? So you, somehow, because it it's, like... it's so small and diffusive, it actually gets in there and it just makes it weak. So this was actually, as I understand, it was discovered by these same German people who invented this process is that they, they had these very high pressure containers. And one day they just had a huge explosion. And going back in, they realized it's, it's what calls it, it embrittles the iron. So you get what's called hydrogen embrittlement. Well, hydrogen embrittlement was also caused. I mean, they got a lot of failures due to that. I thought that the BP oil disaster was due to hydrogen embrittlement of the the screws. Basically. It could have been. I mean, we burned a lot. Of we did a lot of work, work on this for BP in Texas because yeah. we have a in nuclear engineering world. We have a technique called neutron or proton. Well, sorry, prompt neutron activation analysis. Uh-huh. You basically hit it, and if there's hydrogen, hydrogen absorbs a neutron and gives off a very characteristic gamma ray. So you can yep. quantify it. And so we did all this work. We did for the oil industry mm-hmm. in Texas. We did all this work on hydrogen and bromine. Yep. And, yep. But that was the problem there. Is that underwater within the? I guess that was it. Is that the? Marine environment allowed for quicker hydrogen embrittlement of those uh, okay. stainless steel. And here, this is why we now don't use hydrogen to power boats. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> well, I mean, you, just, no, anyhow, you just have to be careful about what you're containing it. Yeah, but hydrogen embrittlement, <laughs> we could we take them up. We have these hydrogen embrittle. We we would hydrogen embrittle these purposely. Uh-huh. These metals and bring them to failure. And you could just see like a system, like you're basically, you have tension on it. Yep. And then you start embrittling it with hydrogen. And it was catastrophic failures. It wasn't yeah. one of these things like 
oh, it just starts to stretch yeah. and then it's there. It is like a pop that sounds like a gunshot down uh -huh. the hallway. Yeah. It's, it was, oh, and again, yeah. But I mean, but so the, if you're putting in new infrastructure, no problem. You know, the problem is existing infrastructure. So that's why I like the existing natural gas pipelines, you know, it's actually drop in. We could start dumping hydrogen. There's no reason we couldn't start dumping it in tomorrow. Right? Yeah. But then, and then, then I guess it's the same for all of these gas stations around the country. You could just start dropping in, you know, your new fuel source, like that yep. new liquid fuel source, yep. whatever it happens to be for a vehicle, rather than saying, well, we're going to rip all those tanks out yep. of the ground, exactly. put in electric charging stations, whatever yep. it might be. Yep. Yeah. 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 Drop in. That's that, that, and that word is, it came from the aviation industry because, again, like take the Sassel, this company Sassel, they had to be very careful to engineer the chemical manufacturing process so that the fuel was dropped in. That yeah. you, didn't have to, you didn't have to change your jet engine out if you're flying out of Johannesburg. It could be the same jet engine, same thing. It's tanks. interesting. Well, you, yeah. you say this, it reminds me, why don't, instead of still fooling around with putting ethanol in the gasoline, why don't we just put hydrogen into it and stop doing ethanol? I mean, what's the reason? Why do we still do ethanol? Is that for the same reason? Oh, farm lobby. There's no engineering reason. That's going to be like corn subsidies, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's, I'm, there's, there's, I'm sure there's an energy density issue. I'm, I mean, hydrogen being a gas and ethanol being a liquid, I'm sure that there's less energy density. Yeah, there must be. Yeah, yeah. but still. But I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, ethanol. Yeah, has, how, much you, how much carbon do you burn to get the corn and get the ethanol in the beginning? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the total cost of the thing. Yeah, you, you can think of it, ethanol is just it's an energy carrier. It's not an energy source. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's carrying energy, a lot of energy. Yeah, yeah. domestically produced. Some of it's not readily available. Domestically produced Midwestern energy. Yes. Yes. Well, very good, Tim. I don't mean to take up too much of your time. No, no, no. no this is super fun. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah, it. Already, but, uh, I always like BSing about big picture. Awesome. Big picture stuff. Well, uh, we'll I'm gonna sit down and listen to this again, and we'll okay. uh, get some questions for you. Yes, yeah, so and, and we'll do it again. So my 30-second summary of what's the future of energy, electrification yeah. of transport, it's large-scale carbon capture, it's sort of hydrogen and other kind of alternative chemical energy carriers, and then just, I think, also just the growing use of electric power for a lot of things that we use IC engines for today. Amazing. Those are all things you can take to the bank. Those, <laughs> those, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I guarantee you there's just two strong techno-economic drivers for all those. Yeah. Great. So just on the way home, remind me what stocks to buy in, in these <laughs> yeah. sectors. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, you enjoyed it. <laughs> it was great meeting you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can find the Coefficient Life podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have a topic you want to hear more about, follow us on social media and message us through Facebook. Remember, energy is everywhere. Use yours wisely.